Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Phantom Galaxy Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Barrowball, and I'm joined tonight with... Chris Durham. And Jason Coupler. Hey, Chris, Jason, thanks for joining us. And this is our first of the end of the year podcast. I'm actually pretty excited because last year... We did our end-of-the-year best horror movies in, like, February. I think the, the release at the beginning of February. So We're slowly getting better. Yes. The, <laughs> we will have a sci-fi uh, episode for best sci-fi and fantasy. It'll probably be coming out next week after. So, tonight is the episode dedicated to horror movies. We did one last year for 2016. I have a link in the show notes to that episode. It was Chris and I, and we did. Um, we each picked ten movies. I think The Witch was at the number one mm-hmm. for that, and that was a really good. Twenty sixteen was a really solid year for horror yeah, movies. I feel absolutely. like uh, sometimes I'm struggling to pick a top ten. Uh, there's usually always a couple of really good movies every year, but in the past few years, I feel like there's been a mix of some of the big budget stuff has been getting better. And there's a lot of really interesting independent stuff that doesn't feel independent. You know, there's there's movies being produced. The Witch, for example, was a movie that didn't really mm-hmm. feel like it belonged to independent or big studio. It was mm-hmm. sort of just felt like they, somebody found it somewhere. <laughs> it just sort of came out of uh, Robert Eggers' consciousness. So, for me, I think 2017 was a very interesting year because there's a lot of horror movies that I think generally... I wouldn't be considering them as horror, but they've definitely been developed that way. A lot of movies that caught me by surprise. There are at least a couple of movies that are on my personal list that I started watching with no clue that they were legitimate horror movies, which is, is kind of strange. Uh, how did you guys feel about 2017 in general, overall, for, for horror? I thought it was a banner year for horror. I thought we had some really good releases. I felt like the quality versus quantity aspect was a little better this year. And some stuff that surprised me... I had no expectations for it. turned out to be pretty solidly entertaining. So I was pleased with this year's selections. I was as surprised as anyone that The Mummy was at the top of Chris's list. Well, you know me. I'm a fool for Tom Cruise. <laughs> I'm just kidding. How dare you? <laughs> no, no, but you're right. There were definitely some movies that looked, that's going right to the Walmart bin mm-hmm. or headed for <laughs> yeah. VOD Hell or something like that, the yes. dark corner of Netflix. VOD Hell is getting better, though. Like, well, Most of the stuff that's going to VOD, or a good portion, is much better than it used to be quality-wise. There are more, there's more than one or two movies on my list that were essentially dropped directly to VOD. Mm-hmm. And on Netflix, uh, in particular, had a lot of original content, original content I procured. I mean, there are obviously some very big things out there. This, of course, was the big return for Stephen King, for the most mm-hmm. part. It's really been his year. I think next year may be his year, too. He's got some stuff. He's got Castle Rock coming to Hulu mm-hmm. and some other stuff. But uh, The Mist and Dark Tower were the exceptions <laughs> to, the, to the rule, but there was some good stuff there. Jason, how about you? How was your overall feeling on 2017? Yeah, Stephen King made a big impact. I'm very glad about that. He's my favorite author. Um, there was also just a lot of... Very weird movies. I had no idea what we're about. Just like you were saying, that were just caught me by surprise. I thought they would suck. They looked like they would suck, and they they kind of sucked you in. So it was a it was <laughs> an interesting nice turn of yeah, phrase. There's a lot of repetition, but it worked. Um, it's yeah, it was a it's a very interesting year, and and I've also seen more trippy movies this year in the horror genre with weird camera angles and swooping hallucinogenic nonsense than I've seen in a long time. So, And I like that stuff, so I thought it was very interesting that, that that's kind of 
some of the higher movies on my list are very weirdly filmed. Let's put it that way. So, yeah, I think that's a good point. I feel like looking at my list this year versus last year, there were a lot more traditional horror films last year. Uh, very good ones, but traditional. Mm-hmm. Uh, movies like Don't Breathe were definitely more in the traditional horror vein. Conjuring Two, things like that. Lights Out. Lights Out. They 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 played very well in that horror sandbox, but they were kind of what you expected. There's a lot of stuff on my list that's uh, very trippy, very strange, almost throwback. The Witch was a good kind of, I think, precursor. There are more yes. movies like The Witch on my list this year than there were last year. The Witch was almost an outlier. The Witch and mm-hmm. They Look Like People might have been the two, and The Wailing yeah. were probably the three yeah. straight, and they were, no, no, not surprised, they were at the top of my list. Just like last year, The Witch was absolutely going to be on like most people's lists. There's at least one movie I can think of, it might even be the one that you guys are thinking of, that I can guarantee is probably almost everybody's list, horror-wise. Uh-huh. And uh, you've always got that kind of breakout movie. One of my favorite, probably, horror experiences of the year, in terms of it, the theater, wasn't even a brand new movie. It was going to see uh, Suspiria. Yes, yeah, indeed. that was great. Uh, yes, indeed. Seeing... Um, Suspiria. The uncut the, uh, director's cut from uh, Italy. Yes, yeah. Dario Italy Argento Italy. at the Sender Theater in Baltimore. Jason and Chris were there. As I, at that point in time, I was finishing <laughs> up the rest of my movies. And I was like, Suspiria, there are more movies like Suspiria out this year True. than traditional yeah. horror movies. Yes. More movies on my list have more kinship with Suspiria than, than uh, your average sort of horror movie. That's a good you know? thing. That's um, a great thing. That movie is an interesting kind of reset button, too, if you haven't seen it in a while. Oh, very good, and if you can, cleanses your palate. If oh. there's a place where you could see it at a theater, the soundtrack alone is worth it. The soundtrack live, was, <laughs> it's crazy. It, well, it was, was one amazing. of my favorite. Like, yeah, yeah that was on. Yeah, it was a great experience. Let's get started. What we'll do is similar to last year, for sake of time, and also because there are definitely some overlap. Mm-hmm. As you're listening to this, we will kind of probably uh, we'll be listing, going around in a circle and listing movies. But there will be points where some of us. We'll mention the top ten. That's because we're holding some movies to whoever has has it highest on the list. So uh, I'm not going to talk about a number nine movie if it's at the top of Chris's list or yeah, Jason's list or something like that. So the magic, the miracle of editing, you won't notice. But <laughs> as we're talking, we'll mention which number. So Very before cool. we start, one of the things I said about last year, there was such a large, uh, like a wealth of horror movies that I actually really enjoyed. That I've got about, I've almost got a second top ten. Uh, and at least five or six movies that are about as strong as the movie I have at number 10 this year. So we're not going to talk about all of them, but it is a strong year. So I did want to talk about a couple of honorable mentions that fall outside of all any of our lists. Uh, Chris, you want to start us out? This one I didn't kind of want to put on my list because I hate to admit that I enjoyed it as much as I did. But... Uh, my honorable mention is uh, going to be Annabelle Creation. I honestly had just kind of a l- fun time in the theater watching. I think it works pretty well. Much, much head and above a million times. The first Annabelle movie, much, much better and more entertaining. And I think the scares actually worked this time around. Had a good cast. I don't know. I had a, I had a lot of fun with it. So that's my honorable mention. And I bet, Jason, I won't speak for you, but I had a good time with this movie too. I was surprised. And it's probably at some level on our runners-up for, for probably most of us, because I thought it did what it was supposed to do very well. Mm-hmm. Kind of the tie into last year, one of the movies that was, I think, lower on our list was Lights Out, was David mm-hmm. Sandberg's last Lights Out. He directs Annabelle Creation. And I remember 
uh, going back and listening to that podcast, we were sort of spitballing, well, what's he going to do <laughs> with this franchise that doesn't feel like it should be a franchise? The yeah. Annabelle doll doesn't do anything itself. It doesn't walk around or do anything. It just looks creepy. Yeah. In the first film, it didn't do anything. So you've got to build a story around it. But I thought I really enjoyed the atmosphere. I mm-hmm. thought there were some decent scares. You're yeah. right. It's very much like a popcorn horror movie. But it's a cut above. I don't like it as much as the Conjuring movies, but it was effective and well made. Yeah, my wife and I saw it in the theater. It was entertaining, but um, I kind of forget it. It's just like it's a good movie, but it's you're like I agree with everything. Very cookie cutter, but yeah, we're checking out I a think. certain level of generic. Too, yeah, but it's still fun. It is fun. It is fun. I had a great experience watching it. Everyone should check it out. Honestly, see if they like it. Or yeah, not. you can hear Chris talk in more detail about it on our Evil Dolls episode that Ooh. we did over the summer. That was a classic too. Yes, uh, Jason, honorable mention. Uh, I think I have another one that's close, but I think Chris has it too. So I'll mention the other one that no one has. It's Death Note. Um, it's a Netflix original. I have not seen an anime. It's based on. Did not even know it. it was based on an anime until the next day when we looked it up. But uh, I really like this movie. It was, it had some bad acting except for Willem Dafoe. But it was just a very interesting premise. Kills were good, and, and Willem Dafoe was creepy as this kind of demon thing. It was just it to me. It was an entertaining movie, not all that good, but just a very like a a, a good waste of time almost. Fun ride. Yeah, yeah, just a little fun. I agree. Ride. I thought William Dafoe, Willem Dafoe was uh, it was good in that role. And I like to imagine him strolling through his house, just like talking to himself, like, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's kind of an extension of the Greek <laughs> yeah. Goblin yes. a little bit. And Death Note has had a series of Japanese live action movies that mm-hmm. were were very. Um, it's bizarre to say, but they almost were devoid of any style whatsoever. Uh, as a lot of ja- it's strange Japanese strange Japan, true. they will make franchise movies, and it looks like it was shot through a muddy camera. Yeah. In somebody's house. It looks like a fan film. Someone Some, put it on their phone. I mean, the the demon <laughs> looked terrible. So this, production-wise, was a cut above. Yeah, yeah. For me, a movie that is kind of just outside of the top ten, and I'm actually a little surprised that it didn't didn't break through. Actually, I'm surprised that I'm even talking about it at all, given <laughs> given the um, who's behind it, which was M. Night Shyamalan's Split. Mm. I had kind of given up a little bit on, well, yeah. not a little bit. I had kind of given up on Shyamalan, like around the time of Last Airbender and mm-hmm. uh, After Earth and The Village and The Happening. I mean, it was just like watching a train wreck that lasted like six movies long. Yeah, you finally got to a point, yeah. and you kind of cast shade on the movies that he had that were good. You know, you kind of look back and you're like, I think. It's still safe to say The Sixth Sense is a pretty decent movie. Unbreakable mm-hmm. is a good movie. Yeah. Signs. But they do all pivot off of twists. They're a very specific sort of like long Twilight Zone episode kind of deal. And I felt like he was kind of returned to form. Or you could see him coming back a little bit with The Visit. Where you kind of stripped him back down to a lower budget. Uh, a few creepy settings in Pennsylvania. <laughs> and kind of cut him loose. And I enjoyed The Visit. I enjoyed it more as a dark comedy though I think than as a full blown horror movie mm-hmm. so to see Split where he's getting a really good performance out of James McAvoy who's doing something that really should be probably kind of silly where he's cutting between all of these different characters and another really good um, performance out of Anna Taylor Joy from The Witch who's who's sort of the foil for James McAvoy I thought that it was suspenseful I thought it was horrific and the only reason it's not in my top ten is because there are so many other good movies. But to me, mm-hmm. and, and and Split probably pushed the PG-13 just about to the breaking point. Uh, 
and still managing to be kind of scary and intense. I thought that some of the creepy scenes in that movie didn't even have anything to do with the central story. There's a whole flashback story involving the little girl yeah. uh, that she grows up to be that is... There's Far one more scene. disturbing. Yes, than... they're like legitimately yeah. disturbed in a PG-13 horror movie. Mm-hmm. And I, it, it, to me, is a, most of that movie is as good as most of what he's done. And then I'm kind of up in the air about the kind of... It's not a twist in the general sense, but it's more of a... Uh, he's tying it into something else. It's an expansion. Mm-hmm. I don't, it's not a twist on the central story. But what he's doing there, I kind of both like it and don't like it at the same time. Like, I'm yeah. excited about it, but it does sort of pivot off of what was already a pretty effective movie, I mm-hmm. think. So so that was Split. Um, did you guys enjoy enjoy that one? Yeah, I thought that was fun, too. Uh, like, you, I mean, it's funny you say, like, it's watching a six... Six movie train wreck, and this is the lone survivor. Like they mentioned in Unbreakable, (laughs) (laughs) but I I feel like in in the visit, you can see him kind of coming back and testing the ground, and then splits a legitimate. It's in a lot of ways as good as a lot of what's in the Sixth Sense and Signs and Unbreakable. Unbreakable is probably the the yeah, I thought it was pretty solid movie. yeah. Yeah, I feel like you, and also very limited cameo. There was still a cameo by him, but it was limited at least. Yes. So let's get on then to our top ten. Chris, you cool. want to start with your number ten? Sure. Uh, yeah. So my number top ten was uh, Gerald's Game on Netflix. I really thought that was a pretty solid. I have not read the book. I imagine that I would have an even greater appreciation for it. From what I understand, it's not his best of Stephen King's works, and would be kind of hard to film given the content. Um, but uh, what was there, I thought, was pretty meaty and also very disturbing both in the dream sequences and what was actually going on. Um, I, I thought it was pretty solid and pretty spooky kind of movie. I liked it a lot. Yeah, I was really impressed with this one. And I was, I'm was i definitely one of those people that didn't think the book was terrific. Have you read the book, Jason? Uh, half of it. Okay, <laughs> yeah. And I remember reading it and thinking there's an interesting concept here, but it felt very padded mm-hmm. out. There was also an issue, the interesting thing is this is not a movie I would have ever adapted. To see Mike Flanagan, who had done movies that I had enjoyed, Absentia, and I didn't, wasn't as big a fan of Oculus or mm-hmm. really Ouija, Origin of Evil, but I knew that he had the talent and the ability, and to see him step in and pick this up and be passionate about it, I'm like, why? who's passionate about Gerald's Game? You know, <laughs> At this point, we heard that It was coming, and we knew mm-hmm. The Dark Tower was on its way, and Gerald's Game was honestly not really on my radar at all. Uh, mostly because I'm thinking this book isn't filmable. So one of the strengths of the movie is that they treat it almost like a stage play in some ways, and they Mm -hmm. cut it down without losing anything that's in his actual book. And it's actually very scary and very intense. It's both very internal, which the book was. I don't, for anyone who hasn't seen it, it is on Netflix. If you have Netflix, Mm -hmm. I strongly recommend watching it. It can be kind of tricky. You might be looking at it, seeing, you know, uh, Bruce Greenwood chained to Carla Gugino, and there, or, or Carla Gugino chained to the bed, and Bruce Greenwood on top of her, and it maybe is giving off a Fifty Shades kind of vibe to you. Not That's that not movie. the movie at all. It's, uh, it is definitely an adult film. There is strong content, but it's not the way you think. Um, mm-hmm. There's some pretty strong gore in this movie at one point, all nauseating, yes. sickingly so, and the. It keeps everything in a pressure cooker for like the whole movie. Yeah. But what I was most impressed with was the way it built in 
Stephen King's world and references, even references to the Dark Tower, references to Dolores Claiborne, things that were woven into his novel, and they do it in such a way it doesn't feel clunky, doesn't draw you out of the story at all. If you don't know those things, it just sort of happens parallel. It's like a good way of introducing something without taking you out of the story, for the most part. There's a, to me, everything's really good up until like the last five minutes of the yeah. game. To be fair, those five minutes were absolutely in the book. It's just that he had done such a nice job adapting that I was disappointed that didn't he didn't need that yeah. last wrap up. He yeah. had it. Carlo Gugino is excellent in it. Really, really good. Like to me, award worthy good. And I really like the way they handled the internal monologues. It's like, how are you going to do internal monologues where most of the book mm-hmm. is one person chained to a bed? So the I mean, way they solved doomed. it. No, no, no. <laughs> so the way they solved that, and it also made, brought to light why Bruce Greenwood was actually cast. I'm like, you're just going to play a corpse for two hours. <laughs> so, any thoughts? Because uh, this was number nine. So for me, on the list, this was uh, my number nine movie. It, it really did do a nice job taking an unfilmable concept and, and and making changes to a book that actually made it better, which is kind of rare. Usually, novels are better. My number ten is a. A movie that I saw, unfortunately, after the season it takes place in, which is Halloween. I'm always looking for a good Halloween movie, usually at Halloween. Mm-hmm. There's very few of them. And I saw this about a month ago. It's uh, also available on Netflix. It's an Australian film called Boys in the Trees, which that title alone, you're like, <laughs> I'm not even entirely sure why it needed to be that title. It's a title that's kind of misleading in a lot of ways. It certainly was not a title that drew me to it immediately. It took a few swipes through the list to be like, yeah, yeah. It it summoned strange images. And 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 it's not a really hardcore horror film. If you're mm-hmm. if if you're going into this for a movie that's really scary, that's really going to freak you out, this isn't that movie. It's not that there aren't scares, it's not that there isn't horror involved. It's probably more along the lines of magical realism. It feels the way the story is told. There are a lot of metaphors. There's a lot of kind of dark fantasy. And it feels like kind of Neil Gaiman meets Ray Bradbury a little bit. Uh, it, again, takes place in Australia on Halloween night. You have this young guy who's getting ready to go to college. He's at home with his mates. They're hanging out and kind of just doing basic Halloween vandalism, you know, he, he, with a bunch of guys who don't want him to go away. So he, at one point, he's trying to become a photographer and... These guys sort of get him to take some, take a couple pictures of this young kid who's clearly like the outcast. And the background on this is that the outcast and the main character used to be friends growing up in school. And of course, they sort of parted ways. And he runs into him on Halloween night. And the story just kind of goes from there. They are walking home, you know, down the street, back to the house. And in that context, you start to get a lot of really strange. Really creepy imagery. There's a lot of 90s music for some reason. It's set like in the mid-90s. I guess it's Because the 90s were the best. Yeah. There's even a very strange... There's some very strange hypnotic imagery. There's one really good scare that kind of comes out of nowhere where it involves a character walking into this tunnel. The tunnel that leads out to a big drain opening. And he climbs in there. And he's looking for one thing. And he finds another. And the way that that leads into the rest of the story, it just suddenly... It's very sudden and it moves on, but it's a really good, uh, almost chilling jump scare, but it doesn't play like a jump scare. There's a scene where they go to this bizarre kind of like Dia de la Mortis like inspired house party. 
and there's an Aborigine man singing lives lightning crashes like in the middle of this thing. <laughs> and it's a very spooky, weird scene. There's just a lot of there's an interesting scene where this character is kind of explaining how his bullying experience in school and how everyone who used to be his friend is sort of not anymore and they tell it in the style of like a B-horror werewolf movie. <laughs> and uh, so it's very interesting. I think it's very emotionally strong, emotionally powerful, but it probably would tend more toward dark fantasy uh, than full-blown horror. But if you're someone who enjoys the tropes and who enjoys a good Halloween movie, this to me was had some staying power. I was still thinking about it after a lot of these other movies kind of have faded from memory. So that's number 10 for me. My uh, number 10 um, is uh, It Comes at Night. Joel Edgerton plays kind of a man um, in charge of his family in an unseen apocalypse. And it's a very understated performance, but there's just a weird, spooky, atmospheric tone to this movie. They do a nice job with a lot of sound in here. There's a lot of sound coming from different places that just kind of will creep you out as you're watching it. Um, It's not what I expected. And if you've seen the trailer, it's not anything like the trailer, really. But it's a good, creepy movie, nonetheless. And... and, uh, the performance alone, Joel Edgerton is a man that's trying, you know, he'll do anything to protect his family. And uh, paranoia can get to someone like that. So it was just, it was a really good movie in my opinion. So, number 10. Yeah, I mean, uh, I have it as my number 8 actually because I also really liked it. And uh, it really plays with that lizard part of your brain. It's like, I thought it was pretty intense. It was a pretty pretty good movie. I liked it a lot. Um, it definitely was a strange sort of experience. While I thought it was good, I I felt like it was a little overrated. I think part of that was I always felt like a little bit at a distance with what was happening in mm-hmm. the movie. You're absolutely right. The performances are really good. Not just Edgerton, but uh, the the guy who plays his son mm-hmm. is a really gives yes. a really strong performance. Does the movie structured that way? It's creepy. I don't know if it ever fully boils over into full blown horror. I think we noticed too, seeing it at the theater, the sound design was very good. Yeah, the mise en scene, like all the colors, and they they play in with like the red door and stuff like that. Like stylistically, um, I cannot fault it. But for some reason, to me, it just left me a little cold, for for lack of a better term. I feel it works better the longer you think about it. Like the next few days, I was thinking about it more. It kind of creeped under my skin a little bit more yeah definitely worth seeing and i believe it's on amazon prime right now you can actually see it streaming yes Uh, if you have amazon prime Mm -hmm. you can see it for free okay so that was so for my number nine um i had alien covenant um i had a lot of fun with that movie it was not the movie i was hoping for it was not the story i wanted to see but also and also had a weird like prometheus element to it where it was like half of a hard sci-fi movie i was really digging and half of a horror movie that I also really enjoyed. I just, the whole experience I enjoyed, it, even though it wasn't something I was really looking for, because I was looking for something else. It was another story that I've kind of seen before, but put together, it all worked for me. I just enjoyed it. I actually had that a little higher. I had that at, at seven. Um, I, I really liked a lot of the... Uh, and you just saw it today. I just saw, saw it saw today. today. <laughs> um, so I hope it's not up there, because I just saw it today, but I'm a fan <laughs> of the franchise, but... It was a really, really enjoyable ride. Um, Michael Fassbender is great as two different um, androids in this one. And um, it's just a really... I thought it was interesting, and I didn't mind where it went. I don't want to get into spoilers, but I know some people didn't like uh, the story. I believe, Nathan, you didn't didn't really enjoy where they took it. 
To um, be fair, I would have thought the, end, but... the movie that you wanted to see would probably be an infinitely better movie. Yeah. And I would have liked to have seen that too. See, I, But I still enjoyed a lot. I really liked where they went with this. Um, I think there's also some psychological undertones of we got to stay away from spoilers. So that's... <laughs> never mind. I'm going to back away from... No, I think, I think saying psychological yeah. undertones is fine. Yeah. I also do think Alien Covenant is more of a horror film than any of the movies probably since the first one. Uh, yeah. In terms of uh, yeah. stylistically. In fact, it's probably not too much to mention Frankenstein. Uh, I don't think that's even that spoilery no. to say. No. And there's a lot of uh, Scott's Blade Runner in it as well. It's interesting because I I was disappointed by it. I don't... I try hard not to be that person who just has this fan version of what you expect. I see that mm. happening right now with The Last Jedi. I don't think that's the same here because this movie is two different sequels. It's a sequel... Spiritually to the original Aliens movie. Absolutely. And in that case, it works much better. <clears throat> really, I, I really just enjoyed the whole experience. I yeah, it was, it was just one that, for whatever reason, kind of put me at arm. So my number nine was Gerald's Game, which we just finished talking about. Nice. So, um, um, Jason, your number... My number nine is uh, 1922, which I believe is higher elsewhere. So I will uh, save that for whoever has that higher. And you just you talked about your number nine, it, right? Number eight, well, yeah, I yes. did my number nine, and number eight was it comes at night. So okay, so go ahead and talk about your number eight. My um, number eight, Gerald's game. So I have already okay, discussed that. Great. What's your number eight, Nathan? My number eight, we'll talk about it later. It's it. So okay. Ooh. Uh, so my number seven would be Alien Covenant, which is going to be nice and short. This is ridiculous. <laughs> uh, like, after a little bit of you know, now we're rolling, rolling. So your number seven, Chris. Uh, my number seven was the Black Coat Star. Well, the thing that I really liked about this movie more than a lot of the movies that have come out this year, it has an excellent, just a dread that does not go away. It starts, it keeps building. And it just never kind of disappears because everything that's going on is just like really creepy in one way or another. Even in the more mundane situations in the movie, like there's just something really off about it. Um, it has a soundtrack that's designed to make you tense, and yes. it really works well. Um, I never knew what to expect in this movie, um, and so the nice shock twist ending and stuff was was uh, unexpected. I didn't think it was going to go the way that it went. Um, and I, you know, I had a lot of fun just like feeling freaked out watching this movie. Um, a lot for me when it comes to a horror movie, something actually is scary to me. It's mostly just like it's because it's been building up dread the entire time. So this one was a particularly effective to me. This was uh, number one for me when I first saw it. Um, before I saw some of the ones that beat it, but I genuinely was creeped out by this movie for the re- like. There is a sense of dread that just hangs over this thing um it's very slow build at first but it never gets boring and Mm -hmm. it has the soundtrack has to be the reason for that with these long tracking shots but it's just there's just some scenes that are just again we talk about the weird hallucinatory stuff but they're just filmed oddly like there's like a furnace scene with some bowing like near the middle of it that just comes out of nowhere you don't bow in front of your furnace no not like that (laughs) it just like it almost looks like the bowing is sped up a little bit and it's just it's just very disturbing um I was yeah I love this movie a lot I've watched it a couple times it freaks me out and there is a genuinely genuinely good twist like you said that, Mm -hmm. that that I didn't see coming, and I usually guess these things, so that's why that one's all the way up for, for four for me. And I think one of the tricks is we've gotten so accustomed to movies just having mm-hmm. 
not meandering, not knowing exactly where they're going. And so sometimes we're even used to, I'd be first person to tell you, there's a little bit of that in the new Star Wars movie where you meander here, you meander there. And we've kind of gotten, I think, where we allow a certain latitude with, with people going off on, mm. on tangents that don't lead anywhere. Osgood Perkins made this movie. He and his The second movie he made was I'm the Pretty Thing That Lives in the House. And I don't know if you guys have seen that movie. Yeah, it's, in my uh, it's a creepy, you. strange movie. But it actually was made second, but came out in 2016. Yeah. And that movie is a very meandering, sort of weird, sort of tone poem. Yeah. And it isn't, it's, it, that's part of its, that's its strength. But this is so much more uh, concise when it all comes together. Also, I'll say this. The performance the, is very nuanced, too. Like, really good. And, yeah. and one of the, 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 Performances. There's two stories happening on two different timelines. One of the performances by Emma Roberts. That's by far the best I've seen her in a movie. I mean, mm-hmm. this is Emma Roberts yeah. was Nancy Drew at one point, and she's giving a really good performance. This is a chilly kind of movie too. Not just because there's a winter setting <laughs> yeah. and you have yeah. a winter break. And I was thinking recently, but there is um, a furnace to warm them up. There's Dude, a furnace. I mean, to warm you're up. watching it in the summer. You still want to blankets yes, around but, you. But that icy chill of like we're talking about what comes at night, where the movie holds me at, at at arm's length, and it's not just that that material is meant not to be that humanizing. You're supposed to be sort of on the outside looking in. That's here, true here, but I feel like Osgood Perkins makes, builds the dread and builds the mystery in such a way that you're really into it, even though you aren't connecting with the characters, per se. And there's one character in particular, I don't think there is a way to connect to her. You know, not in a human way, like you can't really understand exactly where she's coming from. And really, really kind of violent without being overly gory, too. Yes. Like, there's some death scenes in this yeah. movie that are really kind of upsetting, but uh-huh. I wouldn't call them gratuitous. Like uh, they're no. they're they're graphic. I would say malicious. Yeah, like they're malicious. The but... characters' actions are gratuitous. The filming of it is not. No. Yeah. Well, you had made a point, Jason, yeah. in saying that they almost filmed the way Hitchcock would film yeah. something. I could see uh, that they yeah. have that impact that the psycho shower scene has. Yes, they're bloodier than that, but they how are they are built in the same kind of spirit as mm-hmm. that. I thought this movie was incredibly creepy. And sometimes there's stuff on screen, and I know you're a big fan of this, Chris, that what's happening on screen really shouldn't be creepy, but it is. Yeah. Yes. Uh, there's one scene where Absolutely. you have this uh, counselor talking to the girl, and she's staring off into the corner yes. of the room. Yes. And, and it's very clear her focal point is on something that you yeah. absolutely can't see. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of the way characters react to things makes the supernatural real. This is a movie with zero special effects, would that be safe to say? In terms of, like, we're not talking CGI or anything like that. But it's still kind of a supernatural story. Potentially, potentially, I guess. guess Oh, yeah, I think it definitely is. But um, But that's up to debate, too. It's it's really good. In fact, I I appreciate it more just even, like, talking about it, thinking how, how good it really is. And last thing I'll say, I'm impressed because we get this big glut of movies that take place, like, in the... You know, they're period pieces, so we try to make them look like a 70s movie. Mm-hmm. This is by far, I think, the best that that's been done in terms of trying to make it feel like a period piece that also looks like a movie. That's very been effortless, made. yeah. Yeah, that's the way, good way to put it. Um, the only other movie I really saw that worked on that level that looked like, hey, this could have popped right out of the time period was uh, House of the Devil. Yeah, Ty mm-hmm. West House of Devil, though. Yep. That one. And this one's probably stronger than that one. It's an overall mm-hmm. movie. So, I'd agree. Yeah. Uh, that was your number seven? Yep. 
My number seven was another a movie that I had no anticipation for because I didn't even know it existed until I crossed it on Netflix, a movie called A Dark Song. Yes. And I actually think I saw it on Amazon first. I texted you to watch the trailer for that. Was it you? Yeah. I, see, I, it, it, between Yes, but that was like Amazon, and that was like, I was about to say that. Yeah. I came across it, the trailer, when it was like on Amazon mm-hmm. or something. I couldn't remember if it was you or Jason, but somebody sent it to me. And looked at it, but at that point, I think it was still for rent or something. Yeah. And so, but I forgot about it, and then I was on Netflix, and I saw it pop back up. This uh, this is also a kind of slow bird movie, a very creepy movie. Another movie that deals with it, it seems like we're coming back into the Satanism <laughs> uh, trend with movies, which is to say, movies dealing with dark magic. But Wait, in a Nathan, sort of, there's a pentagram on the floor. What's yeah, going on here? Uh, but if you look at The Witch as a movie that's not really about Satan, it's really no. about anxiety, yeah. uh, cultural, spiritual, yeah. religious anxiety, which I think is very pertinent to the world we live in right now. Mm-hmm. So it's not surprising you're seeing these stories pop up. The thing that's kind of really interesting about Dark Song is the way it's about two people practicing the dark arts, but it could just as easily be about two people practicing feng shui or anything that requires discipline or a dieting regime. Do you know? Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, you they have had two a characters very in a house. Martial arts vibe to it. They were yes. in like this could be a guy trying to teach somebody how to do tai bo. Yeah. Uh, or or a, or a paleo diet. I mean, he he approaches it like that. She, you have one character who has a very specific goal. She wants to reach out to the supernatural, to the beyond. She knows she's got to get through the demons. What she wants are the angels. And she wants this guy to help her. And he is like, okay, but you got to be committed. He's the same actor who's in the movie Sightseers. Uh, and he's That's very right. he was very droll in that movie. He's very human in this one. It's really strong emotionally. Yes. And it's very compelling. And then it goes crazy. Yes, it like, does. And, it, and, and you're sitting there thinking, this is... This is in the genre, but is it really horror, you know? And you're sitting there waiting, and it's like the other shoe to drop. And then when the other shoe drops, it's like, man, it dropped. Yeah. (laughs) But then the final scenes of the movie actually impressed me in that they were bold enough to see it through to the very end and give you an image that in another movie might be very silly. Yeah. I like being movies that end where I don't know what's going on. Um, But there's sometimes... In these supernatural movies, they they need to like tell you, you know, they need to like, and every now and then it's good to see something like that where it just goes nuts and it goes all the way, and and I really appreciate that. I I don't think this would be, I had a number five for me. I don't think it would be up at number five if it didn't go where it went in the last twenty minutes. Yeah, because I think we're used to watching the kind of slower movie it is yeah. would end with a fade out to white. Yeah. And you would say things. And so and, like, oh, that was a good study on mental illness, but it, it right. would be a good you movie know, maybe. But That kind of dichotomy between this very realistic world and then the world that comes Which in Which is end. interesting, an interesting play because you got some people that really like the serious movies and then some people that like the crazy stuff. And they had you get your cake that, and get to eat it too. Yeah, but <laughs> it, you just put it all in one movie and yet it works. And it shouldn't. Logically, that should be a bunch of nonsense. But I think it, that it works better as a drama than anything else, though, actually. Like, yeah. Behind yeah. the characters, you feel for them and things like that. And it's kind of almost stage play-esque as yeah. well. Yes, but don't don't the, the craziness at the end, like, it fits. It doesn't come off as cheesy, no. even though it should. It doesn't feel like two different movies. No, like. the director holding that together is just, it was very impressive to me. Um, 
And on Netflix, you guys can check it out. Netflix, you haven't seen it yet, awesome. right, Chris? It is in my immediately to watch as soon as I finish Dark. Oh, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yes. you guys. You'll be, and, and you know what? This is something, too, where if I would have seen this, you know, in a video store or something, I, I would have passed right by it. It looks like, yeah. you know, it just looks like it looked nondescript. When you sent me the trailer, I would, if I, if you had not sent me the trailer, I would never have looked at it because it looks <laughs> like a thousand other yeah, right. direct to VOD movies about the devil. Uh-huh. Uh huh. It's yes. not about the devil. This movie isn't about the devil. No. It's about human beings trying to fight their way through grief and pain it's a very and human loss, movie. and it just happens to have dark magic <laughs> yes indeed so for me that was number seven uh number six uh, speaking of nuanced performances um and directing is uh leatherface the uh interesting prequel you know i uh i really like the the knockoff version <laughs> pleatherface uh, it was a good series <laughs> Is that something real? No, I'm just kidding. Oh, I wish it, it would be. It will be. <laughs> it was Leatherface. Now it's out. Now Leatherface is going to be something. But this is made by uh, Alejandre Bustillo and Julian Mori, who did a movie called, um, uh, oh my God, I can't remember the movie with the pregnant girl. Oh, Inside. Inside. They did that, and then they did another slash movie after that, and here they tackle kind of an origin story of Leatherface. And I'm a huge Texas Chainsaw Massacre fan, but this is not a Texas Chainsaw movie, really, but it's still good. When I was thinking of where to, where to, to, to rate this, um, it's a horror movie. It's very disturbing in scenes. It reminds me a lot of The Devil's Rejects in the way it's filmed. You have this... The very beginning, you have Leatherface as a kid who's kind of bait for these other people and lures a little girl in who he has to kill her in a gruesome way um, because his mom makes her. So, oh, so it's a love story. It's a love story. And and so he gets thrown away in a psychiatric asylum, away from his crazy mom, and, and, and a couple of mental patients escape. And it's a cross-country kind of road trip thing. It's um, extremely violent, but it's like spurts of it. It's not just continuous. It is nasty. There is the... Uh, the de- delightful uh, sex scene featuring a dead body in there that I know we're all... Oh, so maybe don't, don't I... Touch the table. Yes. Oh, I accidentally... I think I knocked the table during necrophilia scene when I said Yeah, so you there. definitely want to reiterate that. <laughs> so that anyway. But overall, it's not... Ju- it's it's actually a... I think it's a, it, it's a good movie for what it is. Uh, it's probably the best slasher-esque movie I've seen all year. And uh, even though it only does that in like the, the final 15 minutes. So it's it's... Definitely did not think it would be as good as it was, but I was pleasantly surprised. I will, cool. ta- I will take your word. Yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> I no, feel. Um, I if the, you rent it, I will watch. I already rented it. <laughs> once. Right, did you buy it? That's no, I, no, I'm. <laughs> it horrified me. There were parts of it that horrified me, so I was thinking horror movie. I'm gonna yeah, hey, that's it. fair. That's totally <laughs> that's cool. so. Good. How does it stack up against the other? Texas Chainsaw movies, not not including the first one, because there's been what is this like the eighth one or something? Yeah, um, or am I overstating it? I think you're probably right. Probably close to there. that. Yeah. It's not obviously it's not the first one. It, it, the second one's m- more silly than the this Dennis one is. Hopper. Yeah, movie, the Dennis yeah. Hopper mm-hmm. one's goofy. You know, the top. That's my personal favorite. <laughs> it's, it, it is. It's good. a hard shell peppercorn. Yes, <laughs> and then you have yes. Leatherface three, which I I don't even think I saw this one. And then you have the one with McConaughey and all that crap. It's better than all of those. Um, and it's because it deviates from the it's deviant. You know, that's for sure. It is deviant, but it deviates away from that house in the country, mm-hmm. like normal. This is Texas Chainsaw Massacre story with with having kind of odes to the characters and and having you know. The creation of Leatherface. It's just like, I, I thought it worked very, very well. Um, 
I heard that they are not probably going to be doing any more um, with this, but... I think they just lost the rights, but they said... But I don't think it's the end of the franchise. I think they're going to get another reboot. Well, they're going to... If they reboot a reboot, that'll be very... Very odd, but we'll see how that goes. I'm surprised that you got this many movies out of Chainsaws. (laughs) I am. And I think this works because it is different, so that's why... Hey, if you can get like nine or ten movies with guys with nails in their head... Uh, like Hellraiser, Children of Corn. Apparently, there was another one this year that I didn't see. Yes. Oh goodness. But but so let me one last question. Do oh yes. Do you feel that there was a real reason for this being? Was there a real story that they were telling here? I mean, does this does this stand alone as its own movie? Do yeah. You feel like if if it doesn't have to meet up the baggage of the, the Texas Chainsaw movies, <coughs> is it kind of just gliding off of those And because we're dealing with a prequel here? Or do you feel that if you had never seen a Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie, would this still be an effective movie for people? If you've never seen a Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie, would, this would just be a really gross, deviant horror movie, but you'd understand everything that's going on. It doesn't even get to kind of a Leatherface even vibe until the last couple minutes of the film so it, it's uh, like along the way it really is a, a a grimy gritty like road movie similar to devil's reject so kind of like is, a dark coming of age story yeah it really is and it also so kinda, this isn't a slasher movie not really. really not really at all until the very very end of it and the thing is it also looks at is is the the mom and and does the mom cause this kid to be a maniac kind of nature versus nurture thing not that it's that smart but you can take it from that and it's clearly not just a dumb slasher movie. So, so necrophilia threesome aside, was there anything in this <laughs> yeah. movie that that surprised you? Um, how like the violence was not of the blade variety for most of it. There's a lot of bullets. There's a lot. <laughs> not a lot were, of chainsaws. Not a lot of chainsaws. I'm telling well, you, to be fair, it's last... only called Leatherface, not Texas. Yeah, chainsaw. that's Correct. right. There's, there's no something. like most of the, that is actually. Good. There's most of it is a lot of the deaths are caused by shotguns and guns, and um, so it's that's what I get where where I kind of got the Devil's Rejects vibe from. Where you take these crazy people that are normally butcher knife, you know, and, and you move them on the road, and they get weapons and they try and get to where they're trying to go. It's it's just. It's it's not a pleasant movie for people. Some people to watch. It is hard to watch at times. Um, the shotgun inside was a hard movie to watch at times. Yeah, so well, it, all the time. <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen that one yet. I do want to, but the the other one that this, these two directors did was also difficult to watch. Forget what it's called, but it is all. It's a good movie, very disturbing. So they have a trend of kind of pulling this weirdness out and making it work. So. I don't know if I can recommend this, but I liked it. <laughs> like, yes. I don't know. <laughs> the views, Jason's views are not necessarily the No, no. Hey, to be fair, I haven't seen it yet, so. No, I have not seen it. No, seen it yeah. And I usually try to see the movies on everybody's list, which was easier when it was just Chris last year. I, don't, I think Leatherface may be the only movie on this list I haven't seen. So, number six for me was The Black Coat's Daughter, which we, we already we talked about a few minutes ago. Chris, number six for you? Uh, I had The Void. Do you remember The Void? Yes, I do yes. remember the void. This was uh, very earlier in the movie. Yes, yeah. it was. Now you talk earlier about uh, with the black coat's daughter lack of special effects. This is like special effects overload. the the main The movie is made for the purpose of showing off these gruesome special effects. Yes. So you you have a uh, kind of like a weird cult in the countryside, and someone escaping from the cult and going to the general, like trying to run to the hospital. And a cop running into them. And so slowly it starts from there from like, 
what's going on with the cult, the cop takes a person to the hospital. It that's just like the basic seed to get things going. So there's something weird going on in the countryside uh, with this cult. We don't know really what's going on, but clearly they're dangerous because otherwise, why are people trying to escape? Yeah. Um, then there's a small countryside hospital mm-hmm. where everyone's kind of hold at. There's some people with some strange um, personality disorders sort of in the hospital. Yes. Um, and uh, the mystery kind of unfolds from there. And it's got a lot of interesting kind of supernatural slash Lovecraftian angle in it. It ends up involving creatures from another dimension and the cult that worships them and people turning into squid beasts and all manner of oh, like gruesome so special beasts. effects. Um, so yeah, it just turns into a... The thing that I closely relate it to is it's kind of an homage, I think, to The Thing. Uh, with its gloopy, tentacly special effects, uh, all practical for the most part. It definitely has a John um, Carpenter vibe. Yeah. It also almost feels, though, as if it's not that far from being like a like almost like a Resident Evil or a Silent Hill kind adaptation. of yeah. Like mm-hmm. in the tone of like this, you could almost this you could take this template and turn it into a video game. Pretty easily, and I don't actually mean that as a slag. I mean like when yeah. we see people make Resident Evil movies and Silent Hill movies, totally. This got is more successful than that. Yeah. yeah, the thing. Okay, so this movie is not. I don't think the best in terms of acting and things like that. There's some. It's definitely got its flaws. The reason I have it so high up my list is I just had such fun with it as like a horror fan, a special effects fan, just watching them do all these like practical things again on the screen. Um, so a lot of the, the the gore factor typically is not something that I rate a movie on, but this does it so well that I really kind of enjoyed that aspect of it. It was fun to watch them do all their ver- various gags. Um, so I, I really thought it was cool. In- interesting story about the alternate dimension and elder gods and all that kind of stuff. So I thought it was a lot of fun, honestly. Um, I liked that a lot. Well, it wasn't. A, it was not afraid to just like kind of go for broke. At some point, yeah, uh, because you do kind of have that somewhat slower build. It definitely was like a B movie sort of entertainment. Again, yeah. I'm not mean. Uh, these are this is not a, a negative perspective. Uh, a lot of stuff going on, but they did tell a story. They do get some of the atmosphere. It isn't just pure homage to Carpenter. There's a lot of homage. I could have done with a little bit more exploration of some of the Lovecrafting themes. I feel like the movie is Very almost true. the yeah. movie is almost just getting started when it ends. For me, mm-hmm. like if it hit if it Oh, hit, you're absolutely right, yeah. If it had cut like the first half hour or even close to 40 minutes is moving at a kind of slower pace. It's not terrible, but when you see where the movie arrives, I would have almost been willing to move that up by about 20 or 30 minutes and see mm. see a little bit more. So to me, I'd have been much more happy had they started closer to the middle of this movie and gone forward. I think yeah. it was one of those cases where I was left wanting more. Not I kind of felt like you they, just as they're getting started, the lights come up. And, yeah. Okay, all nothing more to see here. But That's maybe, right. But even in that in that period, there is an impressive amount of special effect work. Oh no, like, no, no know, doubt, no doubt. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's not that you don't. Let me let me draw back. It's not that you don't get the thing you're looking for, but they start to go beyond the thing you're looking for into something else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. that I started to find more interesting. True, and I would have liked them to keep going. If they had gone there, it wouldn't just be a carpenter homage. It might have been something new and mm-hmm. different. Yeah. Um, two things with that. Easily special effects of the year. I agree with you on that. And also, the cult is. Very, very organized in how it walks and stands. <laughs> yeah. um, military precision for whoever's directing the cult. It, I don't know if it's a hive mind or if they're just training. 
Very impressive with how they maneuver. And they do the cult element is like is what builds the like dread yeah. early on. Yeah, they is. are pretty it creepy. Is. They yeah. are very creepy. I would almost like more interaction. Very with nice, simple the design members. for their robes and stuff. Yeah, but it's still very effective. You, you know, the more I think about it, the more you're kind of right with that. I I do believe I I liked it a lot. But you're right. If they explored a little bit with um, you know this cult, like why they believe what they believe, how they're in such straight lines, things like that would be very. Beneficial to liking the movie because there's there's elements of geometry and math and everything kind of mm-hmm. like introduced even from the opening shots of the film yeah and yeah. this mystery is kind of teased out and that is more keeping with H.P. Lovecraft the goop and the gore is more Carpenter and Stuart Gordon who did Reanimator and yes. From Beyond yeah like, those those guys, don't the, really belong to Lovecraft yeah. the author as much more to the uh, at the people who've adapted Lovecraft. Mm-hmm. That is totally fine. It was a fun movie. Yeah. I, so let's I, say, I, yeah. 80s Lovecraft. It's yes, too much, too. Yes, yes. It's a good so, movie. Uh, that was for you, number six, Chris? Yep. Okay, what do you have, Jason, for your number five? Uh, my number five is Dark Song. Great movie, we already discussed it. Yeah. Uh, my number five is Get Out. We'll wait and we'll talk about that a little bit. Uh, mm-hmm. Like you, what number? Number what is? I was it? gonna say very soon because it's my number four. Oh, your number four, and it's like your number three. It's number right? three. So okay, let's just we'll talk about it now. Let's get. So let's my get number five it. is Get Out, which mm-hmm. I imagine is probably one of those movies that I think it's being sort of universally praised, regardless of whether you're talking about horror or not. It horror. really is a crowd pleaser. It is. There's a lot more going on with it than I think I was really aware of when I first saw it. Mm-hmm. It's another movie that I kind of. Uh, I had the advantage last year of seeing a lot of the movies before the hype. Movies like Green Room and even The Witch I saw before. There mm-hmm. was this great like massive groundswell for them. This was not the case with Get Out. I saw Get Out after it had been out for a little bit. But I was no less impressed with it when I saw it. I mean, and this is getting a lot of accolades. The DC film critics, I was I'm not wasn't a part of them this year, but they their number one movie was Get Out. They As a mm. group, they picked that as the number one movie. Do I think that maybe... Part of its appeal is where we are right now. There's a lot of things yes. going on where definitely social. Yeah, some of the stuff that Jordan Peele was trying to get at and and delve into, it just so happened that as a country we're starting to revisit some of that in a rather painful way. Mm-hmm. So it's strange to get this movie that is strong as a horror movie and kind of strong as a dark comedy. And doing them both at the same time. I don't mm. know if I would call it a horror comedy, really, because it's not no. like laugh out loud funny. It isn't the same humor that they have on Key and Peel, but it's a very dark, kind of sardonic, kind of bitter, angry humor. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's only one element of it, which is sort of the main character's best friend, uh, the TSA, yeah. who is really Played what you straight for laughs. Yeah, he, yeah, he's kind of the traditional comic relief. Yeah. The rest of it is a very dark, kind of uncomfortable sort of humor, and it's operating on a couple levels because there's that level of strained tensions between races that still exist, and you've got people trying too hard to try to be accommodating, mm-hmm. who are trying to make up for a level of racism that's happening here, and yeah. then there's this straight horror story that kind of is drawing from a lot of different sources and Mm kind of feels like a Twilight Zone episode to begin with. And then it goes nuts. Like, it really gets crazy, but it's almost like that crab in the... or that lobster in the pot boiling to the point it doesn't realize you're being boiled. You get to it. And when they start introducing some of these things, there's some some phenomenally creepy stuff in this movie for a movie that is kind of trying to bill itself as a horror comedy. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't... um... 
I would disagree just a little bit on horror comedy, though. Like, I, I not with you saying that, but with like the general classification is it? It is funny, but it's it's a satire. Like that's what it, the whole thing is. Um, and I had that all the way. I think I yeah number three I have that in, and that's why it's so high. Um, this movie came out at the perfect time for it to come out. It says a lot about kind of the black experience, experience still in white America that, mm-hmm. that um, African Americans go through. And it's just, it, it does so using horror elements and comedy elements. And, and so the, the, the acclaim it's getting, I, I think, is, is really justified for this because it's making a point, too. I, I don't think I've seen a horror movie in a maybe George, like a George Romero movie like we talked about in the previous episode where they had so many um, like it's so politically motivated socially charged so, socially yeah. charged that's, that's what I should mm-hmm. be not politically socially charged and that, that's what I feel from this so I thought it was really powerful and just honestly entertaining and creepy even without a message and uh, I think it really handles the aspect of not blatant racism but like everyday racism that you don't yes. know you're treating someone differently doesn't necessarily mean you're treating them poorly but you're treating them differently because of who they are mm-hmm. I mean like the scene that you know the guy walks out and I think it's even in the trailer so I'm not spoiling anything but the one guy walking out and he's talking to this girl's dad and he's like oh yeah I'd vote for Obama again if he was around like just to kind of score brownie points with this guy um I, yeah it was um I it's think like it did made for all those people that start sentences with I don't consider myself a racist. <laughs> yeah, he's like, what up, Tom? I'm not a racist yeah. person, uh-huh. but yeah, like, how's long this thing been going on? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, but, and I think that Peel's even getting at a point there that, like, people believe that because they're not aware of it, well, it's not done with malice. And yeah. I think his point is its origin and its roots were malicious, and so that malice doesn't go away just because you're unaware or insidious. of it. Yes, it's you know. still... It's still generating and percolating inside of you. And Catherine Keener is creepy as mess mm-hmm. in this movie. And yeah. I don't think that's really giving anything away to say. Uh, this is... The scenes... What happens in this movie is also very different than where I thought the movie was going. True. Yeah. I will say that because I thought we were headed one way in a kind of... In a sense, a almost racially charged remake of a certain movie that I'm not going to say which one. And I thought that's where we were headed. And then... It kind of flipped the script a little and got very weird, weirder than I was expecting with like, there, what yeah. ultimately happens. Yeah, and uh, but that's to its benefit. I mean, it's really good. Mm-hmm. And I, even the TSA guy is a—he's handled well. He yeah. doesn't feel out of place in the movie. Mm-hmm. No. Uh, he's part of the satire as well. I think satire is a good way to put it. Mm-hmm. The thing I'd say there was a lot of times with satire, we kind of feel like we're above the movie and not involved in it. And I was totally yeah. involved in it. The oh, acting yeah. is excellent. Oh yeah, yeah, all the way across the board. Um, there's really nothing there's not really too much of a downside here the only thing I can see is that if you go in with expectations of one thing or another if you're going to expect a really funny horror movie it's not there if you're going I, I think if you're going in for a really dark grim horror movie it's not that exactly either mm-hmm. but it's a nice blend of elements that's kind of how I feel yeah. I felt that I went in I was expecting actually a little more social satire than we got I think I was expecting to be a lot more biting. This was a little more gentle than I was expecting. And I think probably to blend with the other elements works better that way. And it might be more effective because of the nuance of its arguments. Yeah. It wasn't this isn't this isn't battering straight forward ahead kinda of like a Spike Lee would. No. That's not to criticize no. Spike Lee, but like Spike Lee is very much like 
he's you know you know he's angry. Yeah, yeah. And this was this was anger mixed with some real like let's do something about this. Yeah, it was yeah it was definitely yeah. a universal feel to it. So yeah, I loved it. I thought it was great. That's my number five. What was your number? Five? Yeah, is your number? Uh, five my first? number five was Life. Um, I don't know if you remember. I think it was in March when it came out. Yes, so, so early parts of the year. This you could argue that this is sort of an alien clone in a way, I guess, but it definitely to me stands out on its own. You know, this, it's about a crew that goes up in the International Space Station, and we're re- waiting a return of some samples from like Mars. They're doing tests on them, and they discover like this microscopic life form, and it's like a huge discovery. Obviously, only to discover it may not have the best of intentions. For all life forms. So things go awry. It's another one of those, you know, monsters go amok kind of movies. But I think it... I left the theater, like, some of the nastiest deaths, like, worst ways you could possibly die you could think of in space. It manages to capture that. Um, it, it was uh, pretty shocking. Um, the cast worked really well together. Uh, they had a good energy. So it was entertaining. I enjoyed most... I mean, like... Even if you were to say it was a alien clone, I think it really stands on its own merits uh, as a movie. It's got a unique creature. It's got a unique set of perils that weren't apparent in Alien. This was a better Alien clone than Alien Covenant. But, uh, <laughs> no, but a lot of the issues I have with Alien Covenant were okay. We've got the same old sort of monster. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel emotionally connected to the crew. Actually, weren't issues with this one because even though we walked in, I think expecting it to be a sort of clone or playoff of Aliens, mm-hmm. I feel like it does what it does pretty well. And it does distinguish itself from being just an alien clone. I yeah. think it would be fair to say. It feels, honestly, more in line with movies like The Martian and Gravity and oh, Sunshine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's definitely more of a monster movie than those movies were. Mm-hmm. But it is more on the hard sci-fi. Yeah, that blends that into it. Yeah. I love, okay. even Alien Covenant, I love these big space vistas that we get. And yeah. particularly seeing that kind of thing in a theater. And these shots of the space station spinning and uh, the way they use this whole cast pretty mm-hmm. well without really developing them too much. There's just enough. I walked in this movie also thinking, it's funny because I was talking to Jason recommending He's like, well, is it PG-13? And I think I thought the same thing yeah. walking into the film because it felt that way, kind of like this... Slick, glossy, safe little like, alien movie, oh, no. and it's not. It's very <laughs> much a survival horror thriller, yeah. an R-rated survival horror thriller mm-hmm. with some really creepy deaths and oh. a creature. I mean, soul destroyed. A couple of them are just like wow. The creatures in Alien, I feel like they've evolved to a point where they're horror movie monsters. Yes, if you know what I mean. Like yeah. the first Alien, you get this high feeling of it being a living organism. The second Aliens, same deal. But eventually, it's turned into a Halloween costume, if mm-hmm. you will. You know, it's a marketable toy yeah. that runs around and chases people. I think I said last with the last Covenant that I feel like it's about as scary as a kitten at this point. <laughs> but the creature in life, they never lose sight of the fact that this is an organism, and this is an animal that's doing a very specific life function. Mm-hmm. And it's merciless because it has no emotional... It, it, it puts no emotional weight on anything that it does. Yeah, uh-huh. it's it is intelligent, but its goal is one hundred percent survival, and that makes wow. some of the things that happen in the movie darker and more severe. Yes. because it's efficient and brutal. It's crazy, and in fact, this is probably maybe I'm stepping over the line here. There's more in common with some of what's going on in the movie Life. Harken back to maybe something more like movies like The Gray with Liam Neeson, mm-hmm. where the guys and the wolves like. You're getting in that kind of man versus nature sort of thing, and not so much guys fight monster on ship. 
If that yeah, makes you're sense. right. And yeah. it's got some surprises. Yeah. Cool. I kind of want to rewatch it right now. I know. It's <laughs> like, what are we doing? Everyone's here. No one. Who works tomorrow? Yeah. Not I. <laughs> well, maybe. I bet you Jen, Jen and Betsy would probably like that too. Number four for me is probably the greatest accomplishment on this list is a movie that made me see the talent of Kristen Stewart. <laughs> wow. So, that's saying a lot. No, no, well, and let me be fair to Kristen Stewart. I actually don't mind Kristen Stewart. I don't know. I she actually never think, really tries. I don't. I think that it's less. And 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 I would really recommend this movie. This is Personal Shopper. This is Olivier Assayas's movie about. Uh, he's done several other movies that are all of a, a dramatic, usually sort of character study movie. This is definitely an artistic sort of film uh, that kind of pulls back and examines a person and their behaviors. In this particular movie, he's. He's chosen to tell essentially a supernaturally tinged thriller. But you can... All the reasons that people picked her for the Twilight movies where this sort of... You know, she's beautiful, but she's kind of aloof. And there's a sort of distance Mm -hmm. to her, I think. None of that was utilized. She just came off like a kind of stick in the mud in those movies. But I've seen her in other films where... There's a little bit of a spark of life, and you're like, okay, I see what she's capable of. I just don't feel like most movies have ever utilized her properly. So this film deals, uh, she is a personal shopper for this celebrity who is, you know, kind of like think pop star sort mm-hmm. of TV celebrity. And she goes out and she is purchases clothes for her, purchases jewelry, and she goes out and acquires things for her. She's not supposed to try any of this stuff on. The story that's happening to the side is that she and her brother were both uh, mediums, spiritualists, okay. and they both were engaged in studying ghosts. They both had the same heart deficiency, and he passes before she does. But there was always a sort of deal that who dies first is going to go over and then report back <laughs> on what they've found. And so you're now dealing with a story, not unlike Dark Song, where you've got this person who is looking everywhere they can for proof of their lost loved one. And she finds herself in, what surprises me is that there's actually some creepy paranormal things that go down in this movie. And some creepy things that aren't paranormal that go down in this movie. And there's a weird mystery, but it's it's more like you're watching almost like a Terrence Malick movie sometimes. It's very much Mm -hmm. uh, observant. It's very much structured. There are elements that remind me more of a ghost story. Okay. The movie Ghost yeah. Story came out this year. But this is definitely has a darker thriller bent to it. And I was creeped out by some of it. And I think that they found the right movie. Her kind of aloofness, her coldness, her detachment makes her character more poignant in this particular movie. Like, this is the first time I've seen Kristen Stewart where I was like, okay, I see, I get what they were trying to do in some of these other movies with her. Like, what we're, di- what we're looking at and sometimes comes off as, I just don't care... Yeah, that's is what I more feel like I feel like of a style. It's sort of like I, this is a this is not doing her any favors, but it kind of reminds me of like Keanu Reeves. If you find the right venue for Keanu Reeves, mm-hmm. you see it clicks, and you're like, oh, that's what it's supposed to do. Yeah, and there's some of that here. This is just really well shot. It's definitely slower. It is not your typical horror, but the dread, dread mixed with melancholy. So. It's very fascinating to watch, and it's really it, it imbues the supernatural, particularly ghosts, with a with a sense of like plausibility that somehow makes it to me creepier a little bit. But make no mistake, ghosts show up in this movie, and they vomit. <laughs> oh. So, 
Uh, it may not be what you're expecting, but I would say give it a give Are it we a talking try. like the Ghostbusters remake? No, like no, no, no. This is very much a pile art. of go- like. This is an art house thriller. You have to know that going into it. It is slow. Mm-hmm. It will subvert your expectations. But to me, this is what would make a really good creepy ghost story, like a, an actual story that you would read, a written written word. Very rarely, I love movies, but the mediums are different. Very rarely do they translate a story like that that works in the same way that a written story would. I would say Personal Shopper is one of those that's excellent. And uh, you should definitely check it out. Just keep your expectations in check for the kind of movie that it is. So my number four, Chris? Uh, So number three, The Devil's Candy. This is an interesting movie. Uh, It starts off with um, you have your crazy guy thinks he's hearing voices telling him to kill and murder. (laughs) And he's trying to fight against it. Um, but he's having a difficult time doing so, and so you you kind of get that beginning of okay, there's something there's something horrible here, and that flashes forward a certain period of time a little bit. There's a family moving into a new home. The dad's an artist, a painter, and uh, they're all metalheads. Music is a huge component of this movie, um, but he's like training his daughter and all the great classic metal bands and all this kind of stuff. The mom's kind of like shaking her head at it, but you know, a typical family, loving family, moving into a new home. Uh, all of out of out of nowhere, deal with like a home invasion, and um, it's this crazy guy from the beginning. So uh, he escapes, and the rest of the movie is them trying to sort of deal with the dad dealing with inner demons because he's sort of becoming haunted as well. Uh, starting to hear things, and you think, oh no, it's just like, uh, kind of like the Shining the Dead's, like slowly becoming part of the, the problem, and painting out his, like, visions on canvas, and these horrifying paintings of, like, people burning, children burning and dying and stuff. Specific faces. Specific oh, faces, of, yeah. Of actual children, um, yeah. So, uh, it's just a tense thriller, um... There's a lot of horror in it. There's a lot of uh, just really weird imagery from the paintings and otherwise unique, interesting characters. I think one of the guys named is like Belial or something in this, and he's like a mu- um, a painting uh, art promoter or something. And he's kind of really weird. So I, you wonder, always keep wondering, like, is there some other demonic angle underneath this thing really going forward? Or are these people just going crazy? It's a neat mix of things. It kept me on the edge of my seat watching it. So I thought it was a fun, unexpected sort of indie horror movie that's on Netflix that you can check out now. Yes, I loved this movie. This was just outside of the top ten. Like, just outside of it. And everything you said is true. It's funny, last year we when we had The Green Room, several of us had mm-hmm. The Green Room on our list, and we kind of talked about how that movie, which was about a punk band fighting its way out of a, a really bad situation had kind of also had the mentality of punk at its soul like as a movie yes like it, its ethos was sort of punk and the ethos and the in the mindset of of devil's candy is very much metal and, <laughs> yeah but i think some of the stuff i loved it so ethan Embry plays the father that you mentioned who's mm-hmm. the painter and also the kind of metal head and the other uh character is played by taylor taylor pruitt vince who extremely creepy he's extremely creepy he he was in a really, really good underrated movie several years ago called Heavy. Yeah, and that was great. That character was sort of this guy who was clearly an outcast loner, except he had a sweet and sensitive side to him. This is like the dark side of that character mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. And But Ethan Embry, one of the things I really appreciate is that the family in this movie are a healthy, like knit-together unit. And this mm-hmm. guy's a metalhead but he's a loving father. He's a good guy who happens to like metal. It's not, yeah. This is one of those movies where 
hide your heavy metal records, you know. And the movie plays a lot with what exactly is going on. And mm-hmm. whether or not the experience that Ethan Embry is having, this is where the tension comes in, it's the same as experience that Taylor Pruitt and Vince is having. Are the voices the same voice? Mm-hmm. And is the devil involved? And it was really up in the air for me, like, what exactly was going on. Mm-hmm. I feel like they held that tension in that line pretty well. And it's just scary, too. To yeah. me, it was scary. Like, was there's intense. some like legitimately creepy scenes. There's one scene where he emerges from the woods, and there's some kids playing on a playground. Yeah. Oh. And... There's a scene involving a trash bag tarp. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I, I like this one a lot. Jason, did you see this? Yeah, I did. Um, I, I too liked it. I, I didn't like it as much as you guys did. You guys really seemed to like it. Um, I did not mind. I, I, I had a problem with a little bit of CGI. I don't know why. Um, I didn't like the flames either. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. It didn't uh, ruin the movie. To that was very metal. Yeah. <laughs> it was very metal. It was very metal. Um I don't know. It was just, it was good. It just didn't really, I don't know why. I just didn't really click with me. But I I needed more necrophilia. Yeah, maybe it did. It maybe it did. They didn't pair with Leatherface. Yeah, that's Uh, right. I don't know why. Yeah, that's crazy. Leatherface is higher than that on mine. But that's. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, I I thought it was really effective. It like Chris says, it's on Netflix now. The director also did a movie. uh, If you want to see something kind of crazy and messed up, called The Loved Ones. I don't know if anyone's seen that, but if you were looking for a wild ride, <laughs> um, loved ones. the loved ones, it's a crazy movie. Uh, I'll just, th- I mean, it's it's several years old now. Actually, even The Devil's Candy, this, this director made the movie and he kind of was like shopping around for a while. It was really made in 2015 and it just got a release this year and it didn't really even get a big kind of fanfare, which is sort of BOD. Mm-hmm. But a very strong movie, very good. Uh, the Loved Ones is is weird and messed up and it even has kind of that wrongful imprisonment torture angle that i usually cannot stand in a film mm-hmm. but it goes so many crazy places uh it's just a wild ride so i'd recommend both of those movies so that was chris that's your number three. number three yeah so number three for me a movie i'm actually kind of astonished is on this list not even is on this list at all <laughs> but i even liked it because it's from a director who i have liked every single thing he's ever done before but our thing about it too is that normally the situation would be reversed. This is the kind of thing that I would love. It's just a little <laughs> you know, astonishing that it's just on my list and that you didn't even like this movie because <laughs> you're right. Like we're going back and forth, and honestly, most of the time we're usually eye to eye. You know, usually I'm like Aliens was great, and uh, yeah. but uh, and of course you know different taste. But anyway, you saw it before I did. You weren't alone in this. I'm honestly, I was hearing at the time, at least initially, universally, people telling me to stay away from this movie that was just going to make me angry. You, you're yeah, you didn't say that. I think that I, pretty, I might have said it would make you angry. Well, you said yeah, you 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 felt that it was interesting to see, but you didn't think I was going to get very much out of it. So okay. this is Darren Aronofsky's mother, which is lowercase mother with an exclamation point, and I kind of took it off of my interest list. Just a lot of the time, a lot of the time. I think we tend to agree. If something is a little too crazy for you, it's usually a little too crazy for me. Uh, A little too out there. And I do have a problem. One of the things I was hearing about this film is people are saying, well, it kind of has, not necessarily doesn't have a point, but that it's maybe a little high-minded or it's kind of up here, kind of looking down on the audience. These are are not your words. These are Mm -hmm. words I heard from other critics. I think your kind of point was it just felt like it didn't quite come together. Mm -hmm. Uh, Again, I, when a movie kind of holds me at arm's length, I can appreciate it visually. 
But if I'm not into it, I have a hard time really appreciating it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if it does become pretentious and you haven't invested me in the characters, I'm going to check out. So I was a little surprised this movie is not... We've talked about all these movies that do a really good job of building nuanced, believable characters. This is not that movie. Uh, we don't learn much about Jennifer Lawrence's primary character, including her name, yeah. mm-hmm. if she has one. Uh, we're introduced yeah. to her relationship. She is married to... Uh, a man, Bardem. yeah, Javier Bardem. Yeah. We again, we don't really get names. It's always He's a man. It's a bad sign when the credit when the credits come up and the names are like man, and neighbor, yeah, yes, right. And so you get this idea. Okay, we're going for something a little bit arc. Maybe we're going for something a little bit metaphorical. So watching the movie through that vein and knowing already up front that this uh, this is going to be a little bit different, or to kind of prepare my expectations. I'm watching it from that standpoint of, oh, beautiful shots, you're doing weird things already, and you're starting to go this this road. But somewhere around, only about ten minutes in, the movie started to bother me in a different way. Uh, meaning that it wasn't bothering me because it was heavy-handed or feeling self-important. It was beginning to bother me because I was starting to feel anxious watching it. <laughs> And, and, and it's weird because I'm not necessarily... I like the roller coaster horror movie. The horror movie that's a little bit fun mm-hmm. and that eases you in. I'm not really the movie that wants to make you feel bad. <laughs> but I can appreciate that. And if the experience is done well enough, you've got me. Because I'm like, isn't that the purpose of horror? I can't really say I'm a horror fan and not want to be bothered by something. So for whatever reason, even the lack of character detail, Aronofsky, his shots, the way he composes scenes, even the way he has his actors acting starts to develop this like growing seed of it's not even dread it's like in the moment anxiety like you kind of want what's happening to stop and it gets worse and it gets worse (laughs) and it gets worse and it's not unlike some of what's happening in argento's better movies where there's this building cacophony of weirdness and this is like watching almost like a circus envelop yeah and you get to the end and you finally see where the movie's going and it is a little bit arc. It is a little bit, you know, uh, dealing with allegory and metaphor. I just think that's a dangerous road to walk down. But they totally, it succeeds for me because I was more emotionally undone, at least in terms of what was going on in this movie, than any movies I've seen in a long while. Like, I was kind of in it and mm-hmm. right with it. And it goes some crazy places. It goes crazier places than almost any of the horror movies I have on this list uh, in terms of just what happens in it. And emotional reaction-wise for me... I was with it, and it felt like a nightmare. I don't even need yes, to have yeah. a, a metaphorical explanation. If you enjoy nightmare journeys, and I and it's funny because now on the other side, I'm starting to hear from a lot of people who actually do really like the movie, kind of for what it tries to do. Um, that's not to discount. I remember, I remember when I told you, I was like, I, I feel like it's an experience. I mean, it's not a good experience. It's, it's like. You feel it's like a bad experience, like yeah, uh, not a bad like right. It makes I, you feel horrible. I, yeah, there is no part of me that desires to experience it again. <laughs> but I feel like it was at least interesting to experience it one time. <laughs> like, it and was weirdly a, it was enough for me, I've now seen this thing three times. Three, three. Well, <laughs> two and a half. I'm finishing it up with Jen, and and she's into. I don't know what I. I'll probably be sleeping on the couch by the time she finishes this thing. And she was watching it on the phone with the with the the earbuds, earbuds in, and it. she's like. Why are they painting her walls? I was like, just you wait. (laughs) I mean, it's a crazy experience. So for me, and it's actually astonishing that there's even to me two better movies in terms of horror because this hit all the buttons in terms of like what I kind of don't usually want a horror movie to Mm -hmm. do, but it did. And 
I would say it works, and maybe maybe the backlash is that it just it's intense and it doesn't telegraph where it's going very much until it's mm-hmm. over. I will give it that. Like I didn't really see where it was headed. Did you at all? No, no, no. Yeah. And I think think usually the problem with these movies that are headed for a grand, you know, trying to have this grand epic feel, you see where they're going and you're just being drugged mm-hmm. along to the destination. Yeah. And I was going willingly, but I mean, I was this sort of, of thing I, I typically like something so weird and out of the box didn't work for me as much. But I will still encourage people they want to see it to watch it. It's it weirder. It's different even than those. You're not going to see anything yeah. like it. I almost liken this to something more like the Exterminating Angel by Louis Bunnell, where you have all these people at a dinner party and they can't leave. Mm-hmm. And then it's just what would happen if people couldn't leave a dinner party? Eventually, <laughs> you, you're you're down to animals fighting each other, <laughs> and it's kind of like that. It sticks with one weird conceit, and it just keeps going and going to the eventual conclusion of that. Jason, what did you think? Uh, I had this at number two uh, after you told me to watch it. Um, it it's I I love this. I I loved it for allegory. I loved it for weirdness. I loved it for the anxiety it caused. Like that, it really was. Um, very strange. I remember I, I watched it with my wife, and 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 we both kind of screamed, "What the f?" A couple. You times. literally texted me, "What period? The period?" And then a couple exp- yeah. expletive marks. Yeah, it was it was um, it was really good, and and I kind of likened it to like a, a poem. It wasn't like it wasn't like a, a it was a story, but it's that it doesn't. Maybe beat poetry. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but, but any it does poem, what good art does, is in that it yeah. makes you feel strongly about it. It provokes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, it provokes. <laughs> I mean, but what I mean by the poem is it's like a lot of poem is a lot of imagery and, and, yeah. and creating kind of meaning through that, and that's what this was. It wasn't like a, a an actual story story, although you can get a story if you think about it. And it didn't take me long to come up with yeah. it, and I research it, and people are kind of like. You know, I think it's gonna be a different story for everybody because everyone's interpret. Like, it's very subjective. And yeah, I found a lot of similar theories. I've had some that are way out of the way. It, so that is what I like about the film is I feel like it's not dependent on the theory clicking to enjoy it. No, which is it true is a of, personal experience. Right, right. Like once yeah. you give me the theory, it can either enrich it and make it more interesting to you. But I don't feel like it's this lockdown thing that oh, and now I understand the movie. Mm-hmm. It's. It, you feel it more than you are supposed to understand it. And to me, that's like David Lynch in that respect, that mm-hmm. you feel it more yeah, than you un- oh, understand yeah. it. And I went, and, it's a weird kind of a movie uh, because it doesn't feel like David Lynch, nor does it exactly feel like Stanley Kubrick or Argento or any, or Polanski or any of the guys that it's sort of touching in terms, <laughs> any, not the guys <laughs> it's touching. Let me rephrase that. It's not. It's it's drawing pieces from here or there, but it's very much its own thing. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really feel a lot like many Aronofsky movies. The one closest to it might be Pi, in sense of such a weird, strange journey. Although Pi has it still has a very connective story. Pi, though, yeah. I mean, like you could still really tell what was going on. Well, I think this has I a mean, connective story, but the problem is it does deal in dream logic. Yeah, that's yeah. what it is. It's not linear. People I felt like I was, I had the flu or something while I was watching this thing. That's an excellent like, way to put it. I think yeah. I had said that it makes you feel. It, actually, we had You're said kind that of out of your own. Yeah, skin. like you, you, you kind of aren't sure exactly what's going on, and to me, that was the strength of it. But I think that it's. It, this experience where everywhere I've seen it's divisive. There's mm-hmm. anytime you get more than two or three people together and their opinion on this movie is a little bit different. But again, I think that proves that it's not a cookie cutter by the books kind of thing. Yeah. And uh, and I think even you said you were not 
you were not uh, I'm not going to say disappointed it's bad. you saw it. Yeah, yeah. like that the experience oh. I had while it didn't I didn't personally care for, that doesn't mean I thought it was bad. Yeah. Like I thought it was excellent as a piece of art. But it's. I didn't know that it would. I, I didn't know that I could recommend it to you. It's not, it's not your <laughs> kind of art, I think. and yeah. honestly, normally it would be mine. I think it was just something about the experience with it was strong enough that I couldn't kind of deny. Like, wow, that. Like you would kind of said, that's a wild ride. It's like yeah. okay, sometimes. So number. So that was my that was, number three. Yeah, that was it was number your number two. two. What was your number three? My number three was Get Out, and those are okay, very similar. Cool. So, so you're number, number two, two uh, 1922. Another Netflix Stephen King adaptation from this year. Can yeah. I stop and say this is now the third movie that we've mentioned that was a Netflix original movie? Yeah, and it's second crazy. Stephen King movie. Yeah. And so Gerald's game, really Gerald's game and Death Note were both Netflix originals. Devil's oh, Candy. Yeah. Devil's Candy uh, did hit Amazon and everything first, so oh, it wasn't okay. actually Netflix. Uh, but it seems exactly like the kind of thing Netflix would do. Yeah, no, I thought this movie was really, really strong. With the performance of Thomas Jane, because watching this thing, I didn't recognize Thomas Jane at all in any of his mannerisms or his performance or the way he talked. He completely dissolved into the character he was playing. I think he did such a strong job with that. It really carried the rest of the movie and the story, which was, I thought, was a pretty decent sort of story. But it it got elevated because of his performance. I, I really dug that. It's about a guy uh, out in the uh, Midwest that has a plot of land, and he wants more land to go with it that his wife owns, but his wife wants to sell it so she can get out of this crap hole town and go to the city. Um, <clears throat> so there's some marital discord. Um, the All the while, the sun is growing up um, and, you know, discovering the world. Um, and... All this kind of culminates one night, like all this rage this guy's feeling about his wife not wanting to stay in the land that they own, like not wanting to sell him her property. Um, how could she, you know, betray him in that way? Because, like, even at the beginning of the movie, he says, like, a man's land is his pride. You know, it's, it's a huge, huge thing. Yeah. Um, so he, you know, commits a crime, <laughs> saying to, to stay where he is and, and continue to live that way. And his life just keeps continually to like chip be chipped away at and like bits and pieces of it just ruined slowly over time until he's down to like a shriveled nub. <laughs> it's it's um it's really seeing the man's soul just kinda like disappear in front of you while you're watching this thing as all these various troubles cross his path. Um, so I thought it was neat. It was a cool ghost story. Um, there's a lot more to it. But uh, the best thing I think is just watch it. Because it's a really unique story. And like I said, Thomas Jane just kind of nailed it for me. Um, I'd heard the story years ago because I got the, like, the audio book that this came out of, this story came out of from Stephen King. But Jason? Um, I, yeah, I, I had a number nine, um, but I still very much liked it. Um, Thomas Jane, yeah, I thought either he or uh, Joel Edgerton from It Comes at Night, I thought did the best performances. Those were my two favorite that I've I've seen. His very unrecognizable. The uh, the thing I liked a lot is there are a lot of rats in this, <laughs> um, and. That sounds Not very personal are, to you. Yeah. Well, rats are creepy on their own, but then, like, I saw a behind-the-scenes thing. All the rats were trained by um, actual, like, rat trainers. None of it was CGI. <laughs> rat so, whispers. Yeah, rat, rat whispers. whispers. So when there's a rat, like, coming out, 
corpse's mouth, I mean, that's like a, a rat that was blocked and forced out of the the mouth. Uh, it's it just, it was, I just found that. Of oh, a dummy corpse, I think we should point out. <laughs> yeah. Detour, but it reminds me, I remember one time that Jen and I went with a friend to the movie Willard. Willard. And, and if you remember the Willard remake, yeah. there's this giant, like, South American, like, river mammal or something they found. It's not actually a rat, but it looks like a rat. And it's running, it, it plays Ben, which is the big kind of uh-huh. leader of the rats. And it's running through, and somebody in the theater has an epiphany and screams, That's not a rat, that's a possum! And everybody starts getting really, like, really wound up about this. Like, how dare you trade us a, a possum for a rat? But there are a lot of rats in 1922. And they are very rats. well, the rats are very well wrangled. What, what, as weirdly, if that's one piece of the horror of the yeah. movie, like, it's a very good piece. Yeah. There's a lot of other weird stuff going there, on in this movie, is. too. There is, yeah. We shouldn't say it's not about a rat attack. After the well, thing, no, you no. Know, but it's it's very good. Um, I do... They did also have, with the rat, they had actual uh, rats that kind of invaded with the trained rats, so they had to get those rats out. There's a whole rat problem <laughs> imposter there. Imposter rats. Yeah, the imposter rats, because they were killing the... It's it's a lot, but it's a good movie. The, story, the short story, <laughs> and I think you had said, Jason, in the past, yeah. that the short story really is like King sort of... It's not his only one, but it's one of his homages to Poe. Yeah. And it's capturing a sort of telltale heart. There's a deep sense of melancholy and sadness. This is like the horror of bad choices that continue to like (laughs) just haunt your life and inexorably break you down. Like the very thing you thought you're going towards, you're not going towards. Mm -hmm. And it's not that you're making new decisions. You're still experiencing the fallout Mm -hmm. of this one terrible thing that you chose to do this one moment where you decided that you know the ends will justify the means Mm -hmm. and he brings his son into it which is kind of the hard tragedy of it all because it is a tragedy oh yeah that's the thing it's it i think you're you see this and you're almost expecting this kind of hard boiled horror story but the rats the, the 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 apparition that's involved in the story they they take on not a sense of horror but this kind of deep sense of sadness i mean instead of these being things that are chasing him they kind of become his only companions on this road this desolate road he's on <laughs> some of the horror is just like dealing with his finances like in this movie it's a yeah and in 1922 this the great depression yeah. Uh, era, it's showing these kind of hard choices in front of people. But Thomas Jane's great in Actually, you know, we're talking about performances. There were some really strong performances across the board in many of these movies we're talking about. Mm-hmm. You know, the yeah. performances in Get Out, the performances... Ethan Embry is another case of being yeah. unrecognizable, yeah. not knowing who I was looking at for yeah. the first 20 minutes of this movie, and then looking at it realizing, that's the kid from, you know, uh, Can't Hardly Wait? What? Uh... But same kind of thing here. Thomas Jane, who was really, really good in The Mist. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think the movie was great, but he was good as the Punisher. And he's had, but I haven't seen him in a while. And to see him here, it was very effective. I will say the one of kind of minor disappointment was that the in the book, the book kind of got more intensely supernatural. Yes. Uh, yeah, as you as you wound mm-hmm. down, and I was waiting for that to happen. And this movie chooses to go a more understated road, mm-hmm. and it really puts the emphasis on his performance as opposed to the supernatural. So I was kind of waiting for that ramp up, mm-hmm. and that doesn't quite happen here. That being said, it's still an excellent adaptation. So yeah. that's your number two, yes, sir. So my number two is a movie called The Endless. Which uh, I've managed to technically get this through as a 20... It is 2017. It's been mostly released at film festivals. But 
it was released around here at Spooky Movie Festival. You could actually pay, get your ticket. So I, my kind of rule is if I was able to pay and see it at the theater, then I kind of count it in the year because some of these things, when they don't come out for a while, it's hard to know. So, But I don't know that The Endless has gotten... It'll probably be getting a wide release in January or February, perhaps. Yeah. But this was... Uh, Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead, who this would be their third movie. Their first movie was Resolution, which was one of the first interviews that Phantom, got, well, then Pop Culture Ninja got to to, to do. Mm-hmm. We uh, interviewed them for the movie Resolution, which was a kind of weird, mind-bendy, uh, Cabin in the Woods kind of movie. Mm-hmm. Incidentally, coming out the same year as Cabin in the Woods and having a kind of weird meta sort of layer to it. Yeah. Uh, did you ever see that one, Jason? No. Really interesting movie that kind of was a two-hander uh, about two guys in a cabin, this other guy has come up to help get his friend off of drugs. Mm-hmm. He's basically like a crackhead. And he's in a uh, he's in this cabin and he chains him to the radiator and he's going to stay with him, you know, thick or thin to get him cured of his drug habit. The problem is that they are where this cabin is located is near the source of some supernatural power that seems to be playing games with them and sort of mm-hmm. drawing them into this almost narrative it's constructing and we don't know what exactly it is or what it's doing they went on to do a movie called Spring which was really good yeah, it that was, was a romantic good. horror movie uh, that was good and then they come back and do The Endless so the reason I gave you the setup for Resolution is bizarrely uh, what I knew about The Endless was it was Lovecraft inspired and it was also involving a cult and it involves it, Justin uh, Benson and Aaron Mordhead, who were the two stars and the good friend or the two directors and you know pretty good friends they are the stars of the movie too, and they play two brothers who came out of a cult up in the mountains. Almost, uh, they, you know, the movie is playing it and making it look like they're almost this kind of Heaven's Gate kind of cult. And these brothers got out of it. They kind of blew the whistle, so to speak, on it, and so cast a lot of doubt on this group of people who who are still out there, still sort of practicing their brand of what looks like almost kooky religion. But the concern is, well, how far does it really go? The reason I mention it in connection is that it takes place in the exact same area as Resolution. Okay. And not just its film there, the characters from Resolution are characters in The Endless. <laughs> so you're starting to realize you're kind of watching a sequel or a sidequel or whatever you want to talk about. So the weird unanswered questions of Resolution come to play in The Endless, which is a movie about cults. It is a movie about siblings and, and being in a situation with siblings where... You want what's best, but you don't really always know how to interact with the other person. And you've got this element, too, of cults, where what is a, what's a cult really made up of? You know, we see a lot of cult movies where there's a charismatic leader or a movie where everyone is sort of in lockstep with one mm-hmm. thing. But what about a movie where these people are really trying to live out the thing they think that they want? Like, we have freedom, we have acceptance, we are actually making ourselves better. Uh, there were elements of that in Ty West, The Sacrament, but that movie was much mm-hmm. more on the horror angle. The Endless gets very strange, very metaphysical, and very Lovecraftian, and kind of deals with the ultimate question of, when you look at religion, what if what if everything religion is pointing to? When we point this out and say, well, this isn't healthy, and this is destructive, and this is dangerous, what if all those things were true? What if, what if it was absolutely doing the thing it was supposed to do for a force that wasn't benevolent, that wasn't kind, <laughs> that really wanted you to play a role of uh, in, in, a, in a kind of circle or cycle of destruction. So mm-hmm. it becomes a science fiction story, it becomes a horror story. It's got some comedy moments, 
the two guy the guy chained to the radiator and his friend come back in the story and <laughs> it's fascinating but you don't need to have seen the other movie i was sitting next to a guy in the theater who hadn't seen this movie it's a strong movie i think emotionally it's mind bending it does play a lot with perception and our ideas of perception but to me it was actually actually asking some interesting questions that i think anybody who gives themselves over to a, a a school of thought a school of philosophy a religion should ask themselves what it you know do i believe this and if i believe this what's the ultimate outcome of what i believe and i haven't seen many horror movies or any movies that have asked these questions and attempted not to give them answers but to kind of point back at the audience and say, this is worth actually thinking about. And to me, we've talked about cult movies before, Chris. Yeah. This is doing, this is even taking a step further than movies like The Invitation, movies I thought were strong last mm-hmm. year, of sort of making you observe what's at the heart of what you think, of what you believe, what you hope for, and what you wish for, and things like that. So that was an excellent movie. It, it, it has a good pacing. It has good, interesting things. There's a cool kind of sci-fi story and horror story at the heart of it. Awesome. Um, and it does have overtones of Lovecraft. So that's my number two. Wow. Is there any appearance of Bill Oberst Jr.? There is. His trailer, but nice. not him. He's out. They oh. literally come. They li- yeah, I was like, you couldn't get Bill? <laughs> was he making another Krampus movie? What a shame. <laughs> right. They, they see his trailer and there's a rock that says, like, out <laughs> out for lunch or something. <laughs> Keep an eye out for it. I'm, a, I, I'm thinking you'll probably see this a small release. And then probably on VOD, uh, it's worth the rental, it's worth the buy. And so I think we're at number one, aren't yeah, we? I we think are. we've hit all our number twos. Yes. So I'll let you guys take it away. Um, for me, number one of the year, definitely would have been It. I really, really liked It. That was a great adaptation. Um, it was very much a different thing from the miniseries. I think it really handled doing the horror aspects well on its own, and also the kids on their own, kind of like a stand-by-me mixed with killer clowns. Um, it was like the perfect horror movie to me. Like It had it had it it hit all the right notes um, to entertain, and also at times like imbibe you with dread, like fill you with dread. Um, what did you guys think of it? I, I really, really loved it. Well, that was my number one as well. Um, and I read the book. Um, I guess I think I finished it about a month before we went to see it. But um, it, it, it captures the book really extremely, extremely well um, without getting into some of the stuff that is is basically unfilmable due to mm-hmm. content. Um, it's just the performances were all good. I thought all the kids were great. Um, I thought uh, Skarsgård was better than Tim Curry was and I know I agree. that's like a big kind of argument thing with a lot of people but I thought I just enjoyed that version of the clown better than like the cheesy mm-hmm. you know, Wonka Wonka like guy that is in the original <laughs> it uh this beep, one beep, Richie. yeah beep beep <laughs> Richie and all that foolishness but um it's yes, this yes. one there are some scenes in here with Pennywise that are genuinely really probably the scariest scenes I've I've seen in in films this year and One's like when he's in the basement and just as like his head flops and his eye will move because the actor can control his lazy eye. <laughs> so they, uh, Andy Machete, the director, would tell him to move his eye back and forth at certain times. So that's there's gross. Parts of that where he's like tracking people with one eye, and it's just so it adds that adds added way a big part to the brilliance of the first scene when you first see Pennywise. Yes, he's talking about it. you can you can see he just can't wait to eat this kid. Yeah, well, he's <laughs> drooling all over. Yeah. There's just a lot of like, in a sense, there's a lot of love for this for the book for mm-hmm. the source material. 
There's a lot of love for for the King fans. There's a just it everything. You're right. It was a fun movie. It was like a perfect horror movie, in my opinion. And, and it was really heartfelt. Like there was, yeah. like there were some scenes in there that were like, dang, I remember when I liked a girl that didn't know who I was too. And it was <laughs> like you know, it just it was so it was very sweet. And then you mix that, you juxtapose that with. A clown waving a severed kid's arm from bushes, and you have like, <laughs> but they both work, and it just it fits together well. Um, the the last thing I will say, if those of you that have seen the the the, the miniseries, you know that the ending contains the the crappiest giant spider to ever. Well, probably not, but it, it, like that movie. The, yeah, the there ending, were the fifties, my friend. Yeah, I, I just I forgot <laughs> about the fifties. Okay. The, the, but that spider thing sucked. In this, they it's get like they the, reused the Gremlins two puppet. That's basically. exactly <laughs> what they did. Yes, the, this one it makes like it makes sense. It connects to the book. They even mentioned this weird like deadlights thing that's in the book. They kind of allude to it in the in the in the movie, and they did it without it being too weird. You know, I can't say enough good things about that. Sorry, I'm stuttering all over the place. I'm getting tired, but. It's all right, it is. Bill. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I hear there's this poem about ghosts. <laughs> That's a, that is a great. That, that is great. Yeah, study again. So I'm going to stop stuttering and let Nathan kind of put his two cents in. Yeah, and... I'm almost feeling bad now. Isn't at the top of my list? This was number eight for me. But again, only number eight, I think, because the year was so strong. And... For me, one of the things was, as a horror movie, like, say, a perfect horror movie, it's a really, really good movie. For me, it, it it falls more into, like, kind of almost like a comfort horror movie. I think maybe I just wasn't all that, like, scared by it. But that almost does, this doesn't really matter at all because it's so strong on the dramatic elements with the kids, with everything that happens. It's not that Pennywise isn't creepy, but you get so caught up in, like you say... Here's the story: the girl that you know he 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 likes her, but she isn't that aware of him yeah. or that he knows of. And you've got the kids over here, the loudmouth kid, and you've got Richie, and all of those kid dynamics that were in play in the book, and that were in the better parts of the miniseries have just been amplified mm-hmm. here. And Machete, who made a decent movie with Mama, has made a really good movie here by focusing. Not on the horror as much. Not that it's not there. It is a horror movie. Mm -hmm. It's not a kid's horror movie. It's a horror movie. But it, it, uh, it does juxtapose things like, here's Pennywise down in the sewer drain, slathering around. And then there's a scene that looks like it would be a... Terrence Malick movie. I'm stuttering now. And like a scene that could be in a Terrence Malick movie of these kids jumping off of the gorge and swimming in the water in a very nice, gentle moment. And... There felt like there should, and I guess this is none of those movies. You just felt like there should be more. Not that it was incomplete, and obviously there's a second part yeah. coming, but you felt like this world just stretched on in other directions. That you could have watched what these kids did all summer, yeah. and not really necessarily yeah. be bored by it. You could have gotten more of them going up against Pennywise. You could have, you could have, it could have had a little bit more teeth, not literally the monster, but you yeah. know, it could have had a little bit more bite in some scenes. But this, these aren't criticisms. It's just that to me it was such a really good year, and this was a really good movie, and this has high rewatchability. Oh, yeah. um, and again, I think it's largely down to the kids. Like there seems also good use of of eighties period setting. I mean, we did a whole episode on this, and and everything we mostly said, you can hear that there. Mm-hmm. Uh, to me, it can all be summed up in. And now I'm going to have to kill this effing clown. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, and and I will say the acting 
the we talk we're we're kind of joking about the stuttering, but character Bill, yeah, who's kind of the one of the the central characters, and he you know the way he handles the issues with the stuttering and developing his character, I thought that was really strong. And there's lots of kids, um, you know, Finn Wolfhard's probably going to get a lot of. Uh, he got a lot of accolades because he kind of Richie kind of steals the show, Richie Tozer a little bit, and he's also we're comparing him to what he's done on Stranger Things, which is kind of a totally different character. And of course, the, the actress who plays Bev, like they're so strong, that I think Bill gets a little, you know, he he's yeah. not as prominent, and it's easy to kind of overlook him. Yeah, and yeah, and I think I like personally, I do like Curry's take on Pennywise. It's frightening for the for the kind of thing it is because it seems like you just encountered a drunk clown in a storm drain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he has a certain of plausible reality to him that makes him sort of creepy. I, but I like this take too. This is more like in the in the stories. There's there's sort of an uh, uh, understanding that this the monster is sort of just pretending to be a clown. You know, yeah. it's not a clown. It's one of many guises that this thing has. And I think Chris mentioned it like a deep sea anglerfish who's sort of putting its its uh, yeah. bauble out there to draw you in. Yeah. And he did a good job of playing the monster underneath the kind of clown artifice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and supposedly there was a bunch of scenes that got cut from this too. I don't know if they're if he's going to remake a director's cut of this for Blu-ray. I'm sure we'll see all of them anyway. Yeah, extended. And I will yeah. say that might have been some of it for me. Is it? Not that it felt incomplete, but there were certain scenes that felt like there was a little bit of something missing. Now, uh, for me, I felt like it had been so long since I watched the miniseries, and I had never read the book, that it didn't really feel like there was anything missing. So, for me, maybe I got a little higher marks for that. Um, but I'm trying to get through the book now. It's quite a hefty book. Yes, it is. It is. <laughs> and Yeah, I'm sure there's definitely some of that would be. Mm-hmm. But to me, the moment I walked out of it, and, I, and, and seeing it twice in the theaters, both times... Walking out of it the first time, and we all went to see it up at the uh, in PA. Almost got murdered, and we saw it with Seth. And that experience, and then the second time seeing it, it was a very I felt fully satisfied and didn't feel like this has been botched. Again, it was a great year for King. We've mentioned three movies right off the bat. In in some ways, each one of them was a surprise that it was as effective as it was, and then even approached the material because you Mm -hmm. in its case. Yeah, he's done some crazy things in the book, and it's a big book, but it's one of his stronger works. I mean, this is like a kind of central piece of Stephen King, and the miniseries was an okay, at best, adaptation, you know, and it it was limited, and I don't think we could have expected better from this. I also would like to add that they had that, that scene on Neville Street is, was probably better than a lot of Haunted House movies I've seen. And it was 20 minutes long, where they're rooting through the spooky house, or Pennywise's house, or whatever you want to call it. Oh, it right. Just, it does yeah, have it that kind of good. fun house sort of feel. Yeah, it's just like, so there's a lot of, like, the set design, it was great. Everything was just, it was really good. So, that one is highly recommended, I think, by everyone. So, my number one movie is a movie that kind of came out of nowhere for me. Probably said this about three times now, but I didn't, I only saw this one about last week. It's a movie called Thelma. And it is, it's interesting, I think, because last year, number one movie was The Witch. And this movie is a foreign film. It's dealing with kind of coming of age again. It's funny because we've talked about Stephen King. This is not Stephen King. But there are shades and undertones of Carrie, just as there are sort of shades and undertones of The Witch. And kind of, you've got a little bit of this female sexuality kind of involved in the story. You've got some 
uh, religious overtones. It in it deals with this young teenage girl who is she as she's growing up. She realizes that she's drawn and attracted to women. The problem with that is she's in a very religious household, mm-hmm. so that is creating a sort of uh, conflict at the same time she's starting to have seizures and she is falling over and birds are falling out of the sky <laughs> and crazy things are happening she's having some very dark strange dreams and the this ability is coalescing with these confusing sort of issues that she is trying to come up against and solve in her own life and the powers are probably the least confusing element mm-hmm. uh the diff what makes it sort of different than carrie is the way it's played because it it goes in a lot of different directions it's not full-blown horror uh it starts as a character study and you're watching you're not watching this wind up we've talked about how in carrie you're watching a wind up to a specific event and you sort of know exactly what's going to go down and here we do play with ideas of are we talk? Are we looking at the development of a superhero? Are we looking at the development of a psychic monster? Are we looking at the development of a witch, of someone who has powers that would have been identified in the in the Puritan Puritanical days as witchcraft? Mm-hmm. And so there's lots of different roads that the filmmakers are playing with, but it's beautifully shot and it really is delving into like what it's like to be dealing as a teenager in ways that I haven't really seen in a movie before, where it really makes like. We've seen teenagers and high school as a horror show, but I don't think we've ever quite seen it presented in this sort of way where it's very internalized, it's very spooky, and the horror that's developing is really from that conflict of what happens when you try to constrain people and you want them to fit into certain little boxes. And lots of times tragic things happen because of that, but what happens when... When that person has the capacity to magnify their tragic things, you know, uh, lots of times we run roughshod over weak people because we because they're weak people because we don't think they can they have the capacity. And so it's interesting. This movie doesn't go in the direction you think it's going, and it was constantly surprising to me. It was constantly creepy, and I think it was also very human, which I think is probably one of the big things about most of the movies that I really enjoyed this year. Was there's a very deep human element above just the scary creepy stuff we Mm -hmm. could say that about it that there was a strong human element with the kids so to me Thelma is a movie that really I think it's worth checking out it is one of those stories or movies that probably kind of rides the line between Mm -hmm. horror and something that's maybe a little bit more um, not science fiction but darkly supernatural magical realist that sort of thing really good movie great performances particularly from the, the young lead and one of the more interesting movies dealing with sort of having powers, if you will. That's a pretty regular yeah. trend in horror films, but it was handled with a lot of style and grace here. Sounds great. So that was my number one. Really good year, I think, for for, for horror movies in general. I'm looking forward to 2018. Um, I... I think it'll be interesting to see where, what happens with, say, the Halloween remake, which now has David Gordon Green attached to it, which yeah. is odd, which is kind of, I mean, the thing we have to remember is he's made some junk now, too. He, <laughs> he's made small art films and really bad big movies, but um, I, I think it'll be interesting, and I'm hoping to really see some smaller stuff. The best part is always when, you know, at this time last year, we didn't know what Get Out was. Yeah. We had no real concept. We were still, everyone was still wary of it. We hadn't had a trailer yep. yet and things like that. So it's always fun to see you come a year. And, and things like 
Gerald's game and the Blackcoat's daughter weren't even really on our radar. So uh, it's always fun to see what comes out. So everyone, thanks for listening. I uh, had a great time. Jason, Chris, thanks for joining me. Thank you. Uh, thanks, we'll folks. be back soon with the sci-fi. Take care.